0: A spot of calm sea in the notoriously ferocious Cook Strait is set to become the site of the country's first open ocean fish farm. The new frontier of fishing that could help bring $3 billion into the country a year within 15 years is part of the new aquaculture push.
1: The future of fin fish aquaculture is in the open ocean because of the incredible environmental benefits you can get from that the quality of the fish that you can grow out there, the variety of the fish, and the scale that you can achieve.
0: So why are people holding up the resource consent process?
2: People's main concerns seem to centre around inadequate research. It's not that they don't want this to happen, it's just that it's never happened before.
1: Experts say environmental factors will need to be carefully managed, while Māori have also indicated a need to be closely consulted. I'm personally expecting we'll get a magnificent result for everybody out there. And that will then be our chosen place to farm.
0: I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Today on The Detail, I talked to New Zealand King Salmon's Chief Executive, Grant Roseworn, about Blue Endeavour.
1: Yeah, so if you head out the Marlborough Sounds and basically head north, you're going to run into the North Island, right? Mm. So if if you cut out about one third of the way there, that's where Blue Endeavour will be.
0: Right, and why there?
1: Well, the, the, well, it just turns out, even though the Cook Strait has a ferocious reputation, and deservedly so, that piece of space is not as high energy. It's in a unique spot that has shelter from all but 11 degrees exposure. So it's either sheltered by Dervil Island you know, from the west, it's sheltered by the Marlborough sounds from the east and the south and it is even sheltered from the north by the north island so just that little spot uh, means we can farm in the open ocean with existing technology and as far as i know that's really the only spot we've ever found like that
0: more on this game-changing project shortly and what's worrying opponents but first
1: I'm in beautiful, sunny Nelson.
0: Oh, lucky you. Is that where you're based?
1: Yeah, we're across the entire top of the south. But yes, I live in Nelson and the head office is in Nelson. Most of our farms are in Marlborough or south of Christchurch or over in Takaka.
0: And how have things been for you this year? I mean, I read that you actually... Made a decent profit, but you've been hit quite hard in terms of sales by coronavirus.
1: Certainly, you know, it was like the world was coming to an end, I have to say. (laughs) Um, We just didn't know what was was happening from day to day. And 75% of our business was based on food service. And so when COVID came along... Uh, First of all, the first thing to be impacted is restaurants, you know, cafes and bars. Uh, And then the next thing that was impacted was flights overseas. And we we fly a lot of our product to various markets. So we were dramatically impacted initially, and we've gradually sort of fought our way out of that, uh, both here, uh, but in our various markets. We probably export to about 20.
0: Did you continue to harvest the salmon over that period?
1: Yes, and, we, and there's multiple reasons why we need to do that. There was certainly quite a, a discontinuity, a decrease in the harvest, and that means we now have very large fish in it right now, for example. Um, but we did continue, and our retail business to supermarkets um, put us in a good position to as a foundation to go forward. And then various markets have been able to pivot their position and be quite dynamic so the paradox is you know a country like the usa that's had all manner of issues and troubles and and to this day is probably the epicenter of the covid 19 is is now fully recovered and and doing as well as it ever has although our makeup there is different and other markets like new zealand china Japan, Southeast Asia are nowhere near as strong as they once were. So yeah, quite a paradox. I have to say the American economy for all of its faults still is by far the most dynamic, the most able to pivot and change and adapt.
0: And do you expect things, well it doesn't sound like things will go back to the way they were pre-COVID?
1: No, no for example let's just take the US how has the US been able to respond and and restore you know its position regarding us and that is because we we our retail business we had foreseen that we needed to rebalance our business and and have more supermarkets and we had already started that process in the USA but still we were mainly a food service restaurant supplier and they pivoted to being more takeaway based uh, more more um, pick up more delivery uh, but also our importers and distributors went to fishmongers so fresh fish, fish stores and were able to build that business which we hadn't really had before so a combination of takeaway home delivery some amazing entrepreneurship on the base of leading chefs and restaurateurs combined with Fishmongers for the first time having our, uh, you know, aura king salmon or our New Zealand king salmon.
0: So where does that leave your plans for the open ocean farm uh, for Blue Endeavour?
1: Oh, so in a fantastic position. So Sharon, I'm not sure if you are aware, but there's only five farmers of any note of the king salmon species in the world, right? So no, I didn't are four know that. Yeah. In New yeah. Zealand and one, yeah. So it's like unique it's so this is like the the gazelle the you know the powerful animal of the salmon world, and Atlantic salmon, which most of the world grows is more like the sheep <laughs> comparison so uh, ours is hard to grow, flighty, powerful animal it's the one that goes up, up those amazing waterfalls. they all do that, but ours is the most powerful it is the largest species mm. um, and We've just got an incredible opportunity and Blue Endeavour is the only way we're ever going to realise that. So New Zealand has the most highly branded, most valuable unit value uh, salmon industry in the world Um, and we can take that further in the open ocean and we can also add some scale to it. So it's an absolute game changer and the amazing thing along with that is we can do that with an environmental footprint that's even difficult to measure.
0: So, back to the farm. 1,792 hectares in Cook Strait, a project that will cost New Zealand king salmon around $35 million. It might be in a uniquely calm spot, but still, it'll be exposed to some big waves.
1: You know, some of our farms the biggest wave they have to contend with is the bow wave of the Inter Islander ferry.
0: Yeah.
1: Now this this so compared to what we're used to, it's off the charts high energy. But compared to say a twenty meter wave, we're not expecting twenty meter waves there. We're expecting sort of six or seven meter waves there, which is within the envelope of existing technology. Is so it? That's not yeah. tech- Yeah, it's not within technology that we currently have. We have to buy it in from Norway. Uh, They're by far the leaders in this area. And what is that technology? So although these farms can produce an amazing amount of salmon, they typically occupy maybe three surface hectares actually on the surface. So what you would see is a large ship and what 's on that ship it 's pelletized feeders in there that we blow out to the salmon then you 'll see a a, a pipe that 's floating on the water going to a large circle that then has a net that goes down sort of fifteen meters on the side seam and probably another fifteen or twenty meters to a cone so uh, nets that that go down thirty five meters uh, below the surface for the first phase you'd see sort of eight to ten of those. So eight to ten circles in the open ocean with pipes that that uh, contain the feed connected to a large vessel that is actually a feed barge.
0: The workers, will they go out to that farm every day or will they be stationed out there? How, what's the plan there?
1: So interesting question. So a combination of both. So we will have some people on site permanently, on a seven-day-on, seven-day-off cycle. That, that's because the value of the, the salmon on the farm, it's going to be approaching sort of $70 million worth uh, towards the end of the cycle. So it's, so, it's, so we just feel more comfortable having someone out there. But, but many of them will be what we call day farm workers. They'll go out on a high-speed vessel, um, do all the things that need to be done during the day and return. But for the first time, we have to provide uh, the ability to run automated from a distance because when a storm comes, we will need to evacuate the site of all crew because it's just too dangerous for them to stay out there. The fish will go down lower, but the people can't escape those waves. They'll be, even at seven metres, that's a massive wave. So we need to evacuate the farm in times of storms.
2: Agriculture is currently a $600 million a year industry, but open ocean agriculture could help take it to a $3 billion a year industry by 2035.
0: Chloe Ranford is the local democracy reporter in Marlborough
2: turning millions of square kilometres of unused water into productive and viable water.
0: She's been covering the resource consent application by New Zealand King Salmon. The process started last July and is not expected to end until mid-next year.
2: Not only has it got very few impacts on the environment, um, but it also could help the agriculture industry be more resilient to climate change. Um, For example, in Marlborough, New Zealand King Salmon has asked the council here to set up a farm in the Cook Strait, which is much colder waters than in the Marlborough Sounds, where it currently farms. And moving to the ocean could therefore save their fish from dying over the summer, which has been happening in greater numbers each year, due to a gradual rise in sea temperatures. It has the potential to not only Uh, strengthen the aquaculture industry climate change wise, but also be a more sustainable future for that industry as well.
0: And I guess to that, that there are new national guidelines for open ocean farming that have just been put out by the government because this Mm. is such a new area, isn't it? It is,
2: and the guidelines are currently being reviewed by stakeholders, so we're not sure um, what the nitty-gritty details are, but we do know that those guidelines will centre around water quality, uh, marine mammals, seabirds, and the Bethnic environment, which is the lowest ecological zone in the ocean, that's the ocean floor. Um, And the purpose of these guidelines is to encourage sustainable farming and help councils set up and manage resource consent conditions for um, any open ocean aquaculture farms, both now and into the future as well. And yet there is a lot of uh,
0: opposition to uh, New Zealand King Salmon's plan to set up the first Mm. salmon farm in the open ocean in New Zealand. I mean, I've read stuff Mm. that it's been called premature and that there are elements of gold rush mentality. So what are people Mm -mm. saying about it?
2: Well, people's main concerns seem to centre around inadequate research it's not that they don't want this to happen it's just that it's never happened before. So how can we properly understand the uh, possible environmental effects and that's the concern from a lot of these groups. Um, so they're requesting that New Zealand King Salmon do more research to make sure that there are no problems arising in the future.
0: I'm looking at Nati Kuya, Doc, the Think Tank, McGuinness Institute, the Volunteer Group, Guardians of the Sounds and community organisation Friends of Nelson Haven and Tasman Bay, they're all opposing ocean mm. farming.
2: Yeah, some of the smaller community groups also have um, long-standing concerns as New Zealand King Salmon's farming in the Marlborough Sounds Um hasn't always been compliant, and those smaller community groups um, have seen those effects and are um, concerned that 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 might happen out in the ocean as well. Um, From a Māori perspective, there's also concerns around um, the taking away of fishing rights, so they have opposed that as well.
0: What's your feeling? I mean, you've done a number of stories on it. What's your feeling about how the community feels about it?
2: I think the community supports it long-term. It's going to bring a lot of money to Marlborough. It's going to bring a lot of jobs to Marlborough. But I think um, they don't want this process to be rushed. They want it to be thought out and um, well-researched. And I think if all of that happens, um, it'll be a win-win-win for everyone.
1: We just did not anticipate the process to take anywhere near, anywhere near that length of time. Because it's fair to say we have, the industry has had its naysayers over the years, but what those naysayers have always said is, why don't you go in the open ocean? And to which we've said, mm, we don't think the technology is around to do that. And now it is. Hmm. So we we were thinking, hey, because we're doing the very thing others have asked us to, surely they would be in support of that and i would have to say generally that's the case there's only 14 submitters against this which is incredibly low there are many more people in favor of it Um, but that's a small number and most of them are on the record as saying king salmon should farm in the open ocean but they all seem to want a seat at the table to talk about the conditions and i suppose that's fair enough so we'll work that process through but because we thought everyone would be in favor of this we just didn't anticipate the the amount of data we'd have to collect the amount of modeling um all, all the science that we've had to provide to go in the open ocean i mentioned norway earlier that they've got like 20 to 30 of these experiments running at the moment and and they've they're the world's biggest producer of salmon and they know that salmon farming is completely reversible as we do so salmon farming You can get your natural environment back incredibly quickly depending on the conditions and and out in the open ocean very fast so they've not had environmental barriers to go into the open ocean quite the opposite but you know new zealand being a bit more conservative and our salmon industry is nowhere near as large as theirs and this is the first one they've already been doing it for a while so just New Zealand's very much more conservative and that means slow in yeah. enabling these sort of things.
0: Yeah, because um, I've been speaking to Chloe Ranford and so she's sort of outlined some of those concerns.
2: New Zealand King Salmon... Um has had a lot of non-compliance in the past to the point where a working group was established in order to set up um, a Marlborough Sounds set of guidelines. So these national guidelines that are being drawn up now, they're very similar to the Marlborough Sounds ones that were drawn up for King Salmon, specifically because they w- everyone wanted King Salmon to be more sustainable and more environmentally friendly. So there is that long history of concerns around salmon farming in the marlborough sounds in the past
1: i can understand so let's take one of the concerns would be okay what is the impact on migrating whales what will happen to which i would say so we've analyzed that and in the history the 30 year or 35 year history of aquaculture in the world, there have been nine known interactions with whales. Not deaths, just interactions, often swim into a farm, bounce off, uh, go away. So that's, that's incredibly low. But I think we could have really just looked at what the Norwegians have done and said, hey, if we all accept that this is reversible, because salmon farming is, then, you know, you don't have to be as precautionary. It's, it's not like cutting down a rainforest, which basically will not return in a 1,000 years, if there was an issue, we don't think there would be, but if there was an issue, you know, from our calculations, the the, the ocean would return to what it was. In, in less than six months.
0: Do you think there might be a little bit of wariness because some of your farms close to shore failed to meet environmental standards that the Marlborough District Council has issued two fines and a warning after an inspection found five and nine of your farms were non-compliant?
1: Sure. Now, I can understand the wariness when you put it like that. What we would say to that is, None of those non-compliances represent any sort of environmental damage. What we have is is some historical conditions that 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 no longer represent best practice, and also, the you know we used to do um, run the monitoring in a very conservative way. Now, for example, one of the requirements of a low-flow farm, and we'd rather not farm on low-flow sites, is that there's a certain number of worms under the farm to ensure the the organic matter is assimilated in, in, in where where we received a fine, some sampling was done and they didn't find any worms. And we thought, okay, well that's, that's non-compliant. Then we went back and rechecked and we just took more samples and did a more thorough job. And then we found, you know, within the samples, we are still counting, but we found 70,000 worms. So, so first, first, Uh, monitoring, just in some small samples, didn't find any. Uh, Follow it up with some more rigorous, larger scale monitoring, do it, take a better sample. And we found reams of them. So we don't think that 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 fine and what happened represented any sort of environmental damage. We think it represents uh, low level monitoring that just didn't turn up the real situation. And that tends to have been what's happened with the cases that you've mentioned.
0: If the resource consent goes through, Blue Endeavour will eventually double the company's current annual output of 8,000 tonnes. But that's small fry in the world of salmon.
1: We're like less than 1% of the world's supply of salmon, but us as a company, we're 55% of the world's supply of this species. So so, So we're tiny in the salmon world, but we're big in the king salmon world. And Sharon, the good news is they're worth a lot more money, they're much tastier, they've got higher omega 3 content, so they've got a, a, a fantastic number of things going for them. Um, but one of them is that they're, they're, they're definitely more difficult to farm, um, but you get premium prices for them if you do so.
0: That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Rangi Poik and produced by Alexia Russell with Jesse Chang as the associate producer. And thanks to Grant Roseworn and Chloe Ranford. Mā te wa.